If you have your Bibles, Psalm 1. And we are going to be looking at uh, a series of psalms from now until uh, about Thanksgiving time. And what we are doing is believing that these songs, psalms, have been given to us to instruct us as to the goodness of God and the ways of God. And it is our desire um, that we learn this language uh, about God, about who he is, and about what God has purposed or how God has uh, kind of planned the lives that we live. What does it look like? How, how, do, we, how do we live in accordance with, with him? How do we live under his rule? How do we follow his guidance or his direction? And Psalm 1 becomes one of those great psalms that kind of sets up the entire book uh, for our consideration. Um, The disciples walked up to Jesus and they said, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And one of the reasons why they they did that was because they obviously saw Jesus pray and they knew that prayer was this communication with God. And unlike us who have been taught most of our lives that it's really cool for you to say whatever you want or to just express yourself and however you want to express yourself, God just wants genuine and real and authentic and it's not that God doesn't want genuine and real and authentic, but, but, but God is also um, holy and righteous. And so the disciples saw something in Jesus, and they wanted to communicate with God, and so they said, will you teach us to pray? Think about what they're asking. Give us a language, the words to say, so that we could commune with him, so that we could communicate with him, or maybe even be able to hear from him. Can you help us with this? It's the reason why when I don't know you and we just kind of meet for the very first time, there's just this awkward silence. Hey, how are you? So who are you again? And, and even with me, it doesn't, the, 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 the conversation doesn't go very far. Why? Because I don't, I don't know what interests you. I don't know what excites you. I don't know what um, ignites your imagination. I don't know your dreams. I don't know your hopes. I don't know your frustrations. I don't know your failures and you don't know mine. So in the end, there's mostly awkward silence, but the more that we know one another, the more we communicate, and the more that we communicate, the more that we know. And so the disciples believe that Jesus, give us a language, give us a way to speak with God and to hear from him. And think about it, that's what Jesus gave them. Pray this, our Father who art in heaven. And so he gives us a way to understand God as heavenly Father. Pray this, um, Not my will, but your will be done. So God, your kingdom reigns in heaven, and may that come here. He gave us us words and ideas. Why? So that our relationship with God might grow. And that's what the book of Psalms does. The book of Psalms, interestingly enough, a lot of people have described it as being at the heart of the Bible, and they mean that more um, uh, kind of theologically, right? Like it, it just kind of, the, the, the words of all of the books are kind of spoken or sung in the Psalms. And so when they talk about the book of Psalms being at the heart of the Bible, I was always taught as a kid that the way you find the book of Psalms, you guys remember this at all? You just kind of open it up to the middle. It's kind of where it is. It really even sits in the middle of the book. Why? Because it is speaking to us. Actually, it fits in the middle of the book because it starts a new section and that's where they placed it. But it really helps us to kind of consider it sitting at the very heart of, of, of God and so that we can understand him. And to learn this language is to know him. And to know him is to uh, love him. And to love him is to obey him. 
That's kind of how the Bible works. To know God is to love God. And to love God is to obey God. And so when this psalm comes to us and it speaks about instruction from the Lord and a desire to know instruction, that sounds so foreign to many of us because we have spent most of our lives trying to, um, to buck against or find ourselves really frustrated by rules, correct? Right? Frustrated by rules. Instead of recognizing that the rules were given, how many of you, when you see a rule, you need to do this, how many of you just go, oh, someone really cares about me? You don't do that, do you? You do. Why do, they, why do they want me to do that? That's dumb. I don't even know if that makes sense. So I have to do that, right? That's how we look at it. So you don't think that's going to kind of creep into, here's God's instruction for you. Well, why? I don't, even know why? I don't even know why he wants us to do that. Does that even make sense? Like, you see the, the, the position that we put ourselves in, and yet God's word has been given to us for our instruction. It also helps us see things that we wouldn't normally see. It challenges our conclusions and our presuppositions. It has us look at our own lives in ways that maybe are uncomfortable to us, or more than that, it has us look at lives of people that we know and we're uncomfortable with that kind of assessment. The Bible constantly says there are two. There are two paths that you can walk on. There's a path that leads to life and a path that leads to death. There are two roads that you can walk on. There is the road um, that leads to blessing and the road that leads to cursing. And yet you and I, in our lives, think life is more complicated than that, don't we? Let's be honest. You not just think like life's more complicated than that? Like it seems like there's more categories for people than that. And so our modern sensitivities are confronted by a book like the Psalms, and particularly Psalm 1. Because Psalm 1 says there is a way of following God that leads to life, and it's just life. And, and then there's a way of not following God and not honoring God, and it just leads to death. And it's just this obvious. How, how many of you go, well, here's the problem, preacher. I've got a friend who, and you have a friend who doesn't follow the way of God, who isn't um, delighting in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, or she meditates day and night. And they seem to be doing pretty good, to be honest with you. Like only in a preacher's illustration does it look this obvious that this is the way of life and this is the way of death. Well, not just with preachers, but with the Word. And, and by the way, it's not like the Bible doesn't know your friend. It's not the Bible doesn't know your perspective. It's just that it's going to give a position that's not from our perspective, but it's a divine perspective. The, the Bible knows, the Bible has whole books dedicated to the complexity of a righteous man, a godly man, pursuing God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and yet terrible things coming to him where it feels like his life is fruitless and stripped bare. And they're looking at this man's life, which looks like this, and they're going, you, you had to have done something wrong because it should look like that and it doesn't look like that. Have you heard of this? It's in the, called the book of Job. And so they're looking at Job's life and it looks like this and they're just wondering what he did wrong. 
And by the way, the Bible knows of unrighteous people who do well. There are kings who rule over nations who are not doing so for the glory of the Lord. And it looks like they succeed. So the Bible is aware of this. They're aware, he's aware, the Bible's aware of your friends. God is aware of the complexity of this. And yet he loves us enough to uncover, to peel back. Literally, the idea of to reveal means to take that which is hidden or covered and to like expose it to the truth from God's perspective. And that's what Psalm 1 does. Psalm 1 doesn't, isn't asking you to argue what it believes. Instead, it's giving you another way of looking at the world getting that it is complicated, but saying, can I just share with you how God sees this? So there are two roads, and um, one of the ways that we can look at this, it's really important that we kind of see this text as, as kind of the way maybe that the psalmist sees it. It's actually, the, the, the verses are found in the book of Deuteronomy. So if you want to either go there, it'll appear on the screens. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 and 16, Moses is um, kind of giving the law to the, to the people, to the people of Israel for the second time. They've already rebelled against God, and they've chosen a way, and many of them have died. Instead of experiencing the promised land that God had for them, they decided to live their life um, under their own rule, under their own direction, and it led to the death of many of them. And now their children are getting ready to take over the promised land and Moses is going to tell them again the covenant relationship that God had with them, which is the law. And the law here in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 15 and 16 is described as choosing a path or choosing another path. You get to pick which path you want to be on. It kind of rings true. Joshua says, choose this day whom you will serve. You can either serve God or you can serve these other pagan deities. Um, and Moses is saying, you can either choose to follow the way of God and experience the life that he has for you, or you can choose another path. You can choose another way. And that way is not God's plan. It is not God's purpose for you. And it is a way that leads to, to destruction and death. Verse 15, strong language, actually. So verse 15 of Deuteronomy 30 says this, See, today I've set before you life and prosperity, which is a life in obedience to the law. Or I've set before you death and adversity. And again, it's never as clear as this, but it's still as real as this. Does that make sense? It's not this clear, but it is this real. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God. So to love him. And what does that mean? It begins to follow through. To walk in his ways and to keep his commands and statutes and ordinances so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God may bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. And so God loved his people so much. He gave them a revelation of who he is, his nature, his character. And that from that character, he gave them a set of laws and a set of instructions that helped them learn to not only how to live under God's rule, but learn how to live with one another. 
Okay? In order for us to live with one another, this is what we're going to do. In order for us to, to be with one another, then this is how we're going to have to operate. This is what we're going to do. And there are those people that are going to say, okay, I'm willing to, 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 to submit to your plans and your purposes. And then inside of every single one of us, there is also someone that goes, no, I don't know why we have to do it this way. I don't know why it has to be this way. I think I have a better solution. And whether it's Adam and Eve in the garden who just, I don't see the problem with picking this fruit off this tree. I don't, I don't get the problem with this. So whether it's them or whether it's you, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. I know I'm supposed to, like, like I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, but... But now I'm, I'm, I'm rethinking some things. I bet you guarantee in a room like this right now, there are many of you right now at this time in your life who are rethinking your faith, who are rethinking the influence of God and particularly the influence of the scriptures in your life, God's word in your life. And by the way, I'm not just speaking to college students. It happens at many times in our lives. When we find ourselves in a troublesome or a complicated or a difficult set of circumstances, that's when we really begin to question whether or not the words of God and the truth spoken to us from the Bible really measure up or do they not? Are we going to trust God in what he says about, and then you can fill in the blank on that. Are we going to trust God what he says about marriage? Are we going to trust God what he says about our own identity? Are we going to trust God what he says about um, honoring our parents? Are we going to trust God about what it means to actually submit to our governing authorities? Are we going to trust God in terms of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Are we going to trust God in terms of what it means for us to gather together um, and to, to work on being brothers and sisters devoted to one another? Are we going to trust God that these things are the way that it should be? Or are you and I going to take this word and to cut and paste it to fit it into our lives. There's a way in which we allow the word to nourish us, and there's a way in which we decide to, no, 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 we're going to do it, you know, a la carte. We're going to just take the pieces that we like, and we're going to reject the pieces that we struggle with. And there are two roads. There's God's road, which comes holistically with his word. And then there's the path that you and I are all interested in choosing. And the Bible says there is a way that seems right that in the end just leads to death. But I love the reality of that. I love the fact that it's, yeah, I've, I've, I've been there. I've thought that actually. I've wondered about that. So the Bible asks you to bring your circumstances, bring the people that you know that that, that live like this but look like this, or the people that you know that, that live a life that is in obedience to God, but it looks kind of barren to you. This series of the book of Psalms is really going to stretch us and challenge us. It, it begins by stretching us by a description of the way of the wicked. It, it basically says, looking at verse 1, that there is those who are wicked and those who are sinners and those who are mockers. Now, it's really described as the way that those who are blessed or those who are happy in the Lord, they don't associate with those kinds of people. But whenever I hear those words, like the wicked and the sinners and the mockers, like don't we actually teach here that that's all of us? How many of you are sinners? Yeah. How many of you, how many of you are, are wicked, right? Now, I know your mom says, no, you're a good little boy, right? My mom, 
would always tell me that. You're, you're, you're a good boy. And I'd say, well, but mom, here's the problem. The Bible says you're lying to me. And uh, my, my mom is a well-intended liar. And she just, she, she just had a hard time believing that little Jimmy would ever do anything bad. And she has no idea, <laughs> has no idea, and I'm not telling her. So it's one of those things, I'll let the Lord kind of clear that up at the end of time. But this, this describes this, and again, these words are kind of shocking, but here's what you need to realize. This section is not saying, yeah, and it's all of us. No, it's, it's, it's differentiating. It, the Bible recognizes that we're all sinners, okay, and that we're all wicked, and that we all need God's grace, and we all need God's, God's mercy. So that's, we're not trying to avoid, right, the grace of God. But the Bible says that the one who knows the word of the Lord, and the one who follows the word of the Lord, does not find great joy walking, standing, sitting, and, and, and being with those people who have at their very core those things that are not of God. And that, that challenges us. Okay, it's a little bit of that thing where your mom and dad said, I don't like who you're hanging out with, and you swore that they wouldn't. I'm, 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 I'm influencing them, mom, and um, it's not true. And the Bible warns about that. The Bible warns about the company that we keep and how it really does shape. And every one of us thinks, no, not me. And every one of us, it, it shapes us, right? We're, when you, you come to an age when you realize, wow, I was, having, I was being affected far more than I was affecting. I was being influenced far more than I was an influencer. I always wanted to pretend I was Jesus in every circumstance, hanging around with sinners and tax collectors, although not a lot of tax collectors, but a lot of sinners. And in the end, they were having some pretty profound effects on me. The Bible says that blessed is the one, happy is the one who does not do that. Now, I think those three words, the wicked and the sinners and the mockers, are, are interesting terms. The first word for the wicked, which sounds like the harshest word to me, to be honest with you, the wicked, it just sounds wicked, Right? It's actually the word that would be used if uh, there was a sin that was leveled against you specifically, and we had to find out whether or not you're guilty of that sin. And so you would stand before, like in a kind of a court setting, to see if you're guilty, and if you are guilty of that sin, if you're guilty of, say, lying, then in the end, you're, you're, you're proclaimed guilty of that. And that's what that word there for wicked is. It's just the word who's kind of a person who's on trial and is found guilty of that. It's, it, literally, it's like, I, si- I lied, I lied. Okay, yep, I lied. And I don't mind admitting that I lied. What do I not want to say out loud? That I'm a liar. Oh, I, sure I lied. Yeah, and then two, and then two. But don't you dare call me a liar. That's that second word, sinner. If the first word is describing more of the, the, the moment in time in which there is a sin that has been committed, this is someone that actually is involved in the sin. This is someone that is embracing it. This is someone that is making it far more of a thing that happened and a thing that continually happens, something that is actually embraced. That's that second word there for sinners. And, and scholars even wonder what not, if there's some kind of progression, maybe not so much with the walking and the standing and the sitting, although some people see a, a, a progression there as well. Um, but those are probably just three parallel ways of just describing, associating. But this last one is kind of a mocking it's not only do I, have I done it, and not only do I do it, but I kind of I enjoy it, you know? And I kind of make fun of people who would look at it any other way. You know, they're prudes, you know? They're self-righteous. Yeah, they're judgmental. They're, and then we begin to, have you, have you noticed this in culture? You begin to mock those things which are good and righteous. You begin to take those things which are 
wrong and destructive societally, relationally, and you begin to lift it up. That's kind of what that last group of people are being described here. So it's not just the sin, it's not just the commitment to the sin, but now it's the laughing and the the enjoyment of the sin itself. And the Bible describes that way as the way of the world. Um, I I, I get my sin, I see my sin, I I enjoy my sin. And not only do I enjoy my sin, I kind of, I mock those people who don't get it, who aren't as enlightened as me, who are not as free living, as free, free, free spirited as I am, who don't experience the fullness of life as I do. And they love to describe those people who might follow the way of God or the word of the Lord as people who are out of touch or people who are trying to rob you from something. That's what they want, you know. They're just trying to restrict you. They're just trying to rob you from the fullness of what life can really be. And they think they're describing this kind of life. And with the word of God, we can be able to see, I think they're pointing me in this direction. And thanks be to God that his word and his spirit can give us insight into those people who are devoted and dedicated to ways that are not of God, but are ways still trying to give us pleasure, identity, purpose for our lives. And so the Bible says some rather clear but stark things. Look at verse 4. The wicked, instead of thriving, instead of living, as it's described, says the wicked are not like this, meaning they're not a tree planted by water. They don't prosper. Um, they're not fruitful. The wicked are not like this. They're not alive because they're like the chaff. Interestingly enough, the biblical comparison is not a live tree and a dead tree. The biblical comparison is actually a live tree and chaff, which is that husk around a kernel of grain that is usually beaten and then blown away. No, I want the grain. I don't want this. The rest of this stuff is, is useless. It doesn't have any, it doesn't, I mean, its purpose is done and it's used to be either blown away or to be burned up in a fire. And so that is what wickedness is. That is what those people who are devoted to a way apart from God, devoted to a way where it makes fun of the laws and the purposes of God. And by the way, it hurts because we know people like this. These are people that we love. These are people that we're concerned about. These are people that have an influence on us and those that we love. And we don't want to be judgmental and we don't want to be super critical. And we still actually want to be salt and light and engage with them. And and, and the Bible understands the complexity of this. But it also is not afraid or concerned to speak truthfully about it. Mom was right. The, the influence that my friends were having on me wasn't good. And it did lead to some not uh, healthy choices were not made all the time. And then I was a part of that some of the time. There was no one to blame there but me. And I'm grateful that the Word of God is willing to speak the truth about this The chaff are not like this. They're like the things that the winds blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor in the assembly of the righteous. It's not asking for us to vote on that. It's just saying the wicked will not stand up in the judgment or in the assembly of the righteous. 
And, and so that is difficult for many of us to hear. And, and I find it to be both telling, um, and interesting, and also telling that one of the first things that Christian people, well-intended Christian people like you, right? You all seem so nice and well-intended, right? All masked and careful and everything. And you, you just seem like you care about others and you care about your kids. And it just seems like you, you get it and that you're, you're wanting to honor God, right? You're here. It's Sunday morning. It's like 1141. I mean, I, I bet your heart is in the right place. And I just can't help but think that when you begin to wrestle with complex and difficult ideas like the judgment of God, you wrestle with that because you're a good person. And it's hard to think about the judgment of God. It's hard for us to, to say it. Like You mean like, are you talking about hell? Is that what you're talking about? It sounds, it sounds like final and it sounds rough and it sounds hard. It sounds judgmental. And so I find it both interesting and also revealing that one of the first things that Christians, when they grow up in their faith and they begin to wrestle with the Word of God and in many times sit in judgment over the Word of God, one of the first things to go is His judgment. It's just easier to take the rest of it. If we get rid of that judgment, if, if we get rid of that, then all of a sudden the, the, the trees look a little different, our lives look a little different. Everyone's life looks a little bit different, but the Psalms don't let us do that. This book doesn't ask us for our position on this. Instead, it speaks a truth over us. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, whether you want to be comfortable with that idea or not, whether I want to be comfortable with that idea or not, whether or not that comes home really, really close with people that I love that are some of the most dear people to me, and it just the, the, the pain of that reality of God's judgment upon their sin and they're, they're not willing to repent and that, that, that kind of lifestyle, that, that, that cuts deep. And so Psalm 1 isn't just, wow, isn't this great? Psalm 1 confronts my modern sensitivities and it asks me if I see the world the way that God does it or whether or not I'm trying to recraft a world that just kind of fits better for me and my friends. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, give us, give us a way of looking at ourselves and the world that is real and true. And sometimes you just have to say, are you willing to deal with the truth? With the stark reality of a way that leads to death and a way that leads to life. And to realize that God is giving that to us because he loves us and desires for us to choose life. Well, there is another way that actually exists in the world, and I, I think it's important that we just take a moment to look at this. I don't believe there are three roads. I believe there are two roads, but I believe, I believe there's two ways to live on this road. I, I think that whenever I look at this text, and it just seems so obvious to me about what wickedness is and what sinning is and what mocking is, it just stays so far from me that it doesn't deal with the reality that both the Bible speaks of and that we know which is a way of trying to combine these two worlds in which I never really give my life to God and I never really experience his life like just flowing through me, feeling his word just enriching me. But in the end, I'm, I'm living my life on my own terms, okay, which is a worldly way of living it. I'm living my life on my own terms, but I'm doing deeply religious and spiritual things. 
And so literally, it's a way of looking like this, but without any kind of power or nutrients from it. And the Bible warns about this. In the Old Testament, God says, you, you people are showing up at, at the temple and you're offering sacrifices, but your hearts are far from me. Like you're coming into this worship setting and you seem to know like what to say and what to do. But when you leave, your life is completely unaffected by my word. In essence, what, what, the, what the word is saying is you seem to know where to go on Sunday morning, but it doesn't have any effect on your relationships or on how you you, you look at me, like you, the, the word of God is something that you would use for a tip or for a technique, but in the end, it's not something that is the driving force behind your life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle Paul says this to his, um, uh, to his, his, his student, Timothy, to the church at Ephesus. Justin just finished preaching um, Ephesians chapter 6 last week, so it's a, that book was a real blessing to us. And the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he is giving Timothy this incredible warning. And I want to read this to you, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is really kind of an interesting verse, because so often when we think about sin and wickedness, it is just so clear, right? You're talking about like murder and killing people. You're talking about like porn. You're talking about like stealing and robbery. You're seeing, you know, so just the clear bad sins over there, right? But the Bible actually knows of a way of not living in accordance with God, but still looking like you do. And it warns about it. Think about the problem that Jesus had was not actually with sinners and tax collectors, but it was with religious people who knew enough religion or enough of knowing how to deal with God that they could still have their own way, right? But yet look religious on the outside. And the Bible warns about this. And so this isn't about how do I do certain things so I look like this, right? How do I let my mom know that I'm having a great freshman year and I'm not enjoying myself too much? Like how, how do I continue to not, I want my family to think I'm a good person. I don't want them to know how I'm really living. I want my family to believe these good things about me, but I really, and, and so you walk this line. That's not the way of Psalm 1. The way of Psalm 1 is not walking a line. It's not wearing some kind of mask. It's literally being that honest and open before God. Paul says this to Timothy, Hard times will come in the last days for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Oh, the list goes on. Unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And that sounds like a really, really bad list. But then he says in verse 5, Having a form of godliness. You ever notice that? And by the way, he's not just describing something that's going to happen at the end of times. He's telling Timothy to be aware of it right then. There are religious people who are lovers of themselves, who are proud and arrogant, who can't be reconciled with, who literally take this to make it fit into exactly what they want. And the Bible warns about that. The Bible warns me about acting like that. 
The Bible warns about me taking the word of God and, and, and trying to act religious enough so that I can feel like I'm alive when in the end, none of it is by the Spirit's power. None of it is devoted to, a, to, to, to being submissive to the word of God. But in the end, it is just a spirituality that is dead at its very core and heart. The Apostle Paul says, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. It's interesting. What does he say immediately following that? Avoid these people, just like in Psalm 1. Don't walk with them, don't stand with them, don't sit with them. Be very, can I just tell you, be very careful being with religious sounding people who know how to look alive spiritually and yet do not have the Word of God, the Spirit of God, in communion with the people of God as their greatest joy and delight. The same road. Jesus said, because it's a wide road. It's very wide. And it leads to destruction. So what is this way that God gives us? Um, I want to jump down to um, verse 2 of our text, because I think this is really important that we see this. In verse 2 of Psalm 1, it says this, so for the way of God, the way of um, choosing him, the way of allowing God's word to instruct and to inform us. It begins when our delight is in the Lord's instruction and on it they meditated on it day and night. There's a group of uh, people back in Jesus' day that were so enamored by this verse that what they decided they would do is they would have someone in their community always studying the word of God. It needed to happen day and night, day and night, day and night. It needed to happen. And I don't think that's what Jesus is describing here. I don't think Jesus is saying that somebody needs to be doing this at every moment within our community. What it's describing there is this, this constant, this repetitive um, devotion, this when push comes to sh shove, I default to the word of God. When I don't know how to do it, I default to what God says. When I'm confused, I look at what God has instructed. When I don't know how to handle a situation, a relationship that's going sideways, I might get some advice from some friends, but in the end, the word of the Lord is already instructing me. And then this is one of my big concerns is that we're living at a time, okay? And I think it's been going on for a long time at a time where not a lot of us really know the Bible very well. So in the end, we're almost reduced. Let me just say this. If the, if the bulk of your biblical instruction for this week is about to conclude when I'm done speaking, if the... If the, the kind of the, the last moment that this book is going to be open for you is going to end in a few in a few moments here, in a few minutes here, then you're already in trouble. The way of life is a way that is devoted to the word of God, and it finds its delight. It says that it's like a tree that is planted. Notice that there's a, there's an intentionality about this. That it's not just a tree that is growing by happenstance. It is not just a seed that happened to land there and find nourishment. No, there is an intentionality in the book of Psalms about those who are loved by God and those who are cared by God. He's like a tree planted beside streams of uh, flowing, uh, flowing streams that bear its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither and whatever he does prosper. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The word therefore watches over is the same word that's used in a relationship when someone knows someone. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us that we could know God. And Psalm says that God has given us his instruction so that we might know him 
find delight in him. This is not a book, the book of Psalms, the Bible itself. It is, this, the Psalm 1 is not a lesson on how to have a better life. That's not what this is about. It's about how to have a life that finds its source of nourishment and its strength from God. You see the difference? Like if you come to church so that your life could be better, you'll never really understand what God desires from you and you will be more prone to using God instead of worshiping him. If God is a technique and if his word is a way to kind of smooth out some relational or family or uh, business type problem, then you don't understand how this word was intended. It was intended to get down very, very deep and to begin to uproot that which is broken in your life and connect you to the truest things of God. Jesus concluded his Sermon on the Mount by speaking almost like Psalm 1. Jesus, at the very end, while he gives these words of instruction, he says, there's two kinds of people that listen to me. And the good news is, we have more than just the word of God. Um, We have actually Jesus, who is the word made flesh. And Jesus gave us some instruction. So not only do we have the law of God, but we have the words from God directly from the teachings of Jesus Christ. And Jesus invites you into a relationship with him to have him watch over and care for you and nourish you and nurture you and guide you and disciple you. And Jesus says this, to the one who hears my instruction and then just decides they don't want any part of it, they're like a fool who builds his life on not a foundation that can stand up, again, under judgment. But then there are those who hear me and trust me and delight in me and persist with me and their lives find meaning and purpose and are nourished and they grow and they become strong. And so this morning, in in reality, um, there are two roads and there are two ways to deal with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us this morning right now are on one of those roads. Every one of us is one of these trees. A tree that is either connected to God, and particularly, since we are, we, we are on this side of the cross, a life that is devoted to the teachings of Jesus Christ, that which is true life. I'm not asking you to consider some biblical principles from the Old Testament, that in the end, the psalmist is pointing to the Savior, and he is describing a way of living and a way of following God that, that surpasses even his law. We're willing to admit, yeah, we're all sinners, but God in his goodness through Jesus Christ made us right with him again. So he's asking us to find this life in Jesus Christ. And so I pray that as we go through the book of Psalms that you will consider these words and that you will consider them true, but more than that, you will consider the one that they are pointing to. Jesus, God himself. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness to us, for your mercy, which is everlasting. And I pray, Father, that you would be the one to lead us and guide us, that you would be the one to strengthen us, and that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear. God, we pray that you would be the source of strength for us. And uh, Father, we are so pleased that you love us enough and care for us enough to give us the truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
And now let's come to that time in our service where we remember what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And we are all sinners in need of Him. And so we speak that truth and we speak it clearly because why? Because we know that although we are sinners and although we are wicked and although we have in fact mocked, that God in His goodness gave us Jesus. So let us take this which represents His body and let us eat. And let us take the cup representing His blood and let us drink. And now let us worship well.